And we'll read from Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Lord, thank you for this scripture, for your amazing, remarkable presence in our lives, for your tenacious grace, for your work among us, in us, through us, and in spite of us. Lord, we we are we are awed. Lord, awe us again, blow us away again, draw us in, fill us with your spirit, enliven us, revive us, renovate our hearts. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite places in the United States that I've been to is a place called Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. There's a national monument there. I love this place. I love the vastness of it, the sort of stark beauty of it. You get a sense when you go to Scott's Bluff of what the pioneers faced. It's kind of lively and deserty. It's inviting and foreboding at once, right? You get a sense of the vastness that they faced, how it both had to be so inviting and also so intimidating to them in their journey to a new land, to settle, to risk. That place, that Scotts Bluff National Monument tells a story when you just look at it. It it has a narrative to it. The 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 scratchy face of that of that those cliffs and the stagecoach that's left there kind of broken down now as I recall, but it's it speaks volumes for what the people faced in expanding in this land and the risks that they took, the beauty of it, the boldness of them, and the scary stuff. I'm thinking rattlesnakes and heat. It tells that story. Tenacity in the face of opposition. Such was the early church as well. The setup to what we just read was tenacity in the face of opposition. Early followers of Jesus, P- 
Peter and John, they'd been out and about sharing their faith and they caught heat for it. They got hit hard. And I mean hard. The religious establishment actually wasn't outsiders. It was insiders, priests, captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, the people whose power this new message was threatening. These guys heard Peter and John speaking about Jesus. They got a hold of them. They interrogated them. They threatened them. They ordered them to shut up, be quiet. They tried to shut these guys down. They leaned on them hard. That's the setup for for what we just read. And now, what you just read, what we just heard, is how the early church responded. After they get threatened, interrogated, told to be quiet about their faith, our text says, verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So the first thing these guys do in the face of opposition is to go to their friends. Tell them all about it. I don't think our pioneers, whether it's the Mayflower people or people expanding into the West, could have done it typically by themselves. Even Lewis had Clark. Someone I was talking to recently was going through a tough, tough, tough time that's some of the toughest stuff you can imagine. And they talked about how they just recently moved back in with family members because being alone was too much. It just fed them right back into the struggle. They are choosing not to be alone in what they face because what they face is too much for them. Well, same goes here in our text. This is the story of the early church. Peter and John refuse to be alone in what they face. When you've had a bad day, when you try to do the right thing and you hit resistance, when you try to tell someone about your faith and you get verbally thrashed for doing so, or when you just feel like the environment you're in is hostile to your faith, who do you share that with? Do you have someone to share that with? Well, that's what church is. Being together in the midst of shared struggle. Being in the stagecoach together as pioneers you can hear the wheels turning on the gravelly road, see the dust rising outside. You're talking about the heat out there and the rattlesnakes and how to avoid them. This is where we get together and reveal what we face and how it's hitting us. This is what Peter and John did in the early church. If humanity's fall in the Garden of Eden results in humanity hiding from God and covering up from each other, humanity's restoration in Christ, as expressed here in the early church, is about sharing our human struggles to live for God in a world that can be quite hostile to him. Peter and John needed their friends. They don't try to tough it out by themselves. They don't plot a counterattack by themselves. Or go firebomb the local, you know, home of the Sadducees or something like that. They get hit. They don't hit back. They go instead to be with their family. And they share their story 
Where are you sharing yours? You got to do it. Who do you reveal your faith struggles to in the hostile world? You got to do it. If you don't have such a place, let us know and we'll hook you up and link you up. And together, as people hooked up, we'll look up just like Peter and John's friends do in the next verse, 24. When they heard this, now this is after Peter and John go to their friends after a bad day. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. I was playing ball outside here with Jack, our son, the other day, and we just came over as a family on Friday night and had some fun. This is a fun place to hang out. Shoot some hoops, kick the soccer ball. And Jack told me about how we saw a video where people were shooting baskets in this video. But they weren't just shooting baskets. They would call out the name of an icon of basketball and then shoot the basket. So it'd be like LeBron James and then they shoot the basketball. Or as I said, Michael Jordan, they'd shoot the basketball, right? Or I told them to, I said, Larry Bird, and they'd shoot the basketball. I'm showing my age now, right? From the Celtic, Boston Celtics. And the idea, I guess, is that invoking the name of a kind of basketball saint somehow propels the shot you shoot, right? <laughs> In a way, that's how the early church is shooting its shot here. When they shoot or share their thoughts to each other, they do it by invoking the name, above all names, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Their prayers, their shot rides on that. Sovereign Think of it this way, whether we're thinking out loud or thinking internally or just sharing about our struggles in a daily life, try inserting the phrase sovereign Lord before you share it like you're talking to God and it becomes a prayer so that the struggles then are carried by the name and not just in yourself, right? They're carried by their sovereign Lord, not, oh, I'm really frustrated with work. Okay, Sovereign Lord, I'm really frustrated with this, right? See what difference that makes. Words matter. Phrases shape our actions. The phrase sovereign Lord changes your whole perspective. Someone's in charge. It ain't me. Someone's in charge. It's not my enemies. Sovereign Lord. Insert that into any complaints or struggles you have before you say them and let it become a prayer and pivot it onto God's sovereignty. That is a really key component of living the mission. Or else we'll get stuck in the in the adversity. We'll get stuck in whatever's bumming us out and frustrating us. Instead, shoot the shot, watch it soar away on the hands of the sovereign God and see what difference it makes. The prayer itself here that they say that you heard me read reflects the use of the Old Testament. Psalm 2 is there and then uh, also uh, Hezekiah is there as well. Uh, A prayer of Hezekiah from, from Isaiah 37. There's a general pastoral pattern. 
era, general prayer pattern from, from the prayer of, of Hezekiah and Isaiah 37. The point is, they use this as scaffolding. That's the whole idea behind written prayers, by the way. You know, it's great to pray, pray extemporaneously. Some of us are more comfortable with that than others. Just freely unstructured. That's great. But sometimes... Life and stress and hardship and adversity, adversity, taking hits, whatever, can leave you dizzied and unable to even know where to begin sometimes in your prayer. Well, scripture can help or prayers written after the pattern of scripture can help. That's what they do here in their prayer in the early church. The sovereign Lord is the invoking of the name and then they say, they actually say the psalm. They actually pray the psalm. Scripture itself gives them their bearings. And that's what I find repeating psalms or even prayers. I know the Book of Common Prayer is a beautiful, the Episcopal Church. There's beautiful prayers in there. Phrases like, Father of majesty unbounded. I mean, just language that reorients me, that helps me. That's what the military does by the way they just repeat and repeat and repeat the same thing over and over they train and train and train with repeated actions developing a kind of instinctive muscle memory so that when they come under fire they just do it they can reload in the dark they can they can feel around their whatever equipment they need in the dark memory habit instinct kicks in when the hard stuff hits that's what prayer scaffolding can do in Psalm 2 and other things that we see, other places we see in Holy Scripture, and even prayers written in liturgy that we can follow, that we can get in our minds and our hearts. When we're trying to find a way and grip in the dark, memory kicks in. Well, like I said, the prayer itself, according to scholar I. Howard Marshall, reflects Psalm 2 and the prayer of Hezekiah. And in its original context, the psalm, as Dr. Marshall says, is regarded as an address to a king, right? Either at a coronation, their crowning, or some subsequent period of crisis where it was helpful to recall the crowning of the king. And the whole point is, the promises of God in that are rehearsed as an encouragement in the face of foreign enemies. Remembering what, God, what the king has promised And what God has promised the king is rehearsed in the face of a threat as encouragement. The God who addresses the ruler as my son in the psalm will certainly overthrow whoever's going to be his enemy. And then the early church reapplies this idea to the Messiah. It was the most natural thing they could have done. The psalm says... The scaffolding reminds them, leads them, guides them to help them remember that the plots against the Messiah are going to be fruitless. And that helps them in their immediate situation, helps them to see. The psalm then becomes a lens. Helps them see what's going on. And they interpret the ways the rulers treated Jesus in light of the psalm. So they follow through. So they say the psalm and they say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. So now they're interpreting their current reality in light of the scripture. The scripture has lensed the current reality they're seeing 
But then in verse 28, they add, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So then the story of what's happening gets pulled in by scripture and it helps them remember who the center of the story is. What story do you tell yourself every day about what is going on? What stories are you listening to about what's going on? What or who, what or who is at the center of that? What stories are being told to you about the world? And what or who is at the center of that story? It's easy to put adversity at the center. But the early church, when they met together, they didn't do that. They kept God at the center, using scripture, praying scripture, and then letting scripture help lens their reality and then pulling their, pulling their situation into that bigger picture, reset everything. They remembered God was at the center of the story they told. Scripture was absolutely center for them. Scripture was absolutely central for them in doing that. And the same goes for us. Whatever adversaries we face as people of faith, in and around whatever we face, we go back again and again to the scriptures daily. Sometimes we need to do it even hourly to remember who our true center is. The true center is the God who is large and in charge, who is not surprised or shocked by what is going on, who is working it all out as the one, as Colossians says, is in whom all things hold together, Jesus Christ. When we do that... We let the truth of scripture and the framing of scripture point us to God. Then we get more shook by God than we are by adversaries. Because we realize it's God who's really holding us. And we realize that we're in God's grip. And so we can begin to pray prayers like they pray in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. In God's grip, they know what God is capable of. Words, boldness, wonders, healing. I love seeing what's going on in, in, uh, in, uh, is uh, is it Asbury? Is that the school? The school in in, uh, in uh, Kentucky, right? They're doing. They're having this revival. This is a worship service, and uh, beautiful music and, and beautiful worship with young people, young adults. That is a delight. I've seen video of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful, delightful thing to to behold. It is God moving and and shaking and holding His young people, and that is wonderful. And I love it. I also love thinking of. Students who have for years been meeting in dorm rooms and in cafeterias all over college campuses all over the world doing Bible studies, doing smaller scale lunches and outreaches. I was part of that as a staff member of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for six years right here at Seattle Central Community College about 25 miles away. God has been moving on college campuses all around the country and the world. God has been moving. What you're seeing in Asbury is one example, a powerful example of that, but it has been happening for a long time. Students being given words to say, 
boldness to offer, wonders and healing. I was at a conference uh, years ago, 20 years ago, and, and I baptized a young adult guy in a bathtub in a hotel room. <laughs> Someone said, hey, uh, Adam wants to be baptized. Okay, you know. Amazing things happen in the grip of God's grace. We were praying at South Central Community College 15 years ago or whatever that was. Whenever I was there, the late, around 2000, probably 4, 2005. And we were praying around this table in the study hall there, yeah, study area. And there was this young Russian gal who just was looking toward us and looking toward us again and looking toward us again. And I think she was drawn to us and wanted to become be part of it. And she came and was part of the group and explored the group for a while, explored God. And God's working to draw people. And that, that was just one of me. And there's hundreds and hundreds of InterVarsity staff and Campus Crusade and Navigators and all kinds of groups on campuses. The Inn at University Ministries and uh, all kinds of ministries going on. So praise God for Asbury and everywhere else. But words and boldness and wonders and healings are happening on college campuses and everywhere around the world. Where do you need to see God work wonders and do healings? Where do you need to speak words? Who do you need to speak them to? Where do you need and with who do you need that extra push to engage? You can pray for that. When we do that, when we pray for that, we're just extending the prayer of our early Christian family. And the Spirit shows up. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Listen, God does not give us anything to do for which he doesn't equip me and you. And in his grip, we will stand equipped for all that he has for us to do. But if we tell ourselves the wrong stories daily, if we get tripped by the wrong, if we get gripped by the wrong script, and there are a lot of bad scripts out there, if we get gripped by those wrong scripts, we're going to get tripped. We're going to see things. Thing, we're going to see things flipped from what they really are, upside down, and that's going to short circuit our witness. The early church gives us a path forward. Come together, pray. Shoot that shot in the name of the Sovereign Lord. Come back to the Word to let you see what's going on. And stay in His grip so that rather than being shaken by the world, we'll be shaken by God. Stirred in faith and reminded of the one who really holds us. And that's why He can shake us. Because He is the one who holds us. May it be so for me and for you, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Shake us, Lord, hold us, shake us, stir us, send us in boldness with words, trusting that you can do wonders in and through and in spite of us. Help us in adversity to not make adversity the center, to not believe lies, but to look to you again and again, to speak truth, to tell us what's really going on within your large and in chargeness. That we might not cower in fear or react in hostility, but move in faith, speaking the truth in love and boldness to a world desperate for it. Thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you for the mission. Fill us with your spirit that we might be your people once again. In Jesus' name, amen.